Um, hey, y'all. Yeah, like Derek said, my name is William, and I'd love uh, to just talk to any of y'all. Actually, I've got some material. If you're interested in A&M, maybe because you're an Aggie or maybe because you're about to be uh, sending some tuition dollars uh, to A&M, or maybe you just care about the future uh, generations of the church. Uh, I've got some material that I'd love to stick in your hand, so just come talk to me afterwards. Uh, But it's just such a pleasure to be here with y'all this morning. Um, My wife, Catherine, here on the front row. Uh, My daughter, Lillian and Celine, are, I'm sure, terrorizing some uh, children's workers right now, so uh, thank y'all for for taking that one. Um, But uh, an actually cool story, so or cool connection, I was the RUF intern at LSU before I went to seminary and then, and then came here uh, when Derek was a pastor in Baton Rouge. And actually, we live like two streets down. So it's just neat for us to kind of keep staying in the same orbit with one another. Um, all right. So, yeah, like I said, I spend a lot of time calling, uh, talking to college students. And the passage that we're going to read this morning has really become one of my go-to passages uh, for college students as I think through, like, what do my college students really need to hear? Like, what aspect of the gospel do they really need connected with them? Um, and I know A&M students are not like all students, and, and not even all A&M students are like this, but, man, when I am sitting down and talking with my students, I hear something like this, you know, you know, yeah, so I've got uh, Monday is like my Christian fraternity meeting, and then Tuesday I've got freshman Bible study, and then I've got the breakaway Bible study, which is this other just really big, huge thing on campus, and then Wednesday of some other organization or Christian meeting, I, I, you know, have that, and then, you know, Thursday night, that's our UF large group, and then Sunday church and maybe even working with the youth and some kind of church small group. And it's just like they are running from like one Christian thing to another Christian thing. And there's just this really, you know, just visible Christian-y culture um, on campus. But the thing is, and, there, and don't get me wrong, I think there is a ton, a ton to celebrate about that. There really is. However, when I'm sitting across a coffee table from so many of these students, after they tell me all that, I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, how, how are you and Jesus doing? How are y'all growing? How's, you know, how's your spiritual life? They'll say, man, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm just really far away from God right now and just stale. And I don't really know that he loves me. And, and I'm like, okay, well, what? Well, what's the problem? What, what do you think needs to happen? Well, I probably need to read my Bible more. I probably need more quiet time. I probably, you know, maybe there's just like some other way of serving. But you like see what's happening there, right? It's like after all of this Christian-y activity on activity, they still just feel so disconnected and anxious about their relationship with God. What's up with that? What's going on there? And maybe I can even ask you, do you resonate? Do you resonate with any of that? Does any of that map onto your personal experience? Well, I think the passage before us is actually all about, all about what's going on with my college students, all about what's going on with me, all about what maybe is even going on uh, with you. Uh, so let's, let's pray 
and read. Lord Jesus, um, would you teach us the things that your word uh, has to teach us? Um, Teach us the things that are hard for us to learn, um, either because we don't want to hear them or because maybe it it feels abstract or complicated maybe. Um, Help us to learn the things that are delightful, um, that are wonderful, that are good news, the things that step in and really heal our hearts. Um, Lord Jesus, we, we can't do any of that if your spirit, as we're about to talk about, is not the one that does it. So would you attend to this word that you have inspired, that you have given life, and that would you change us with us? And in your name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, let's read. And, and I apologize for this. I only gave y'all uh, the first part. So we're going we're gonna to start in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, and we're going we're gonna to keep reading. So there's some text I'm going to read that's not in your bulletin. Um, all right. So Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so I know that as Jesus and the Pharisees 
had used this language of, of people being defiled and unclean, that there's probably something about that to your modern ears that just, just kind of grates against you. So let me try to culturally filter this, culturally translate this. So uh, Franz Kafka was a 20th century Jewish writer, and he wrote this story called The Trial. And in that story, uh, Joseph K. is the character, and he's arrested. But he's never told why he's arrested, what he did, and he just goes from hearing to hearing and jail cell to jail cell. And he just starts to think, like, well, was it, was it that thing that I did? Was it this thing that I did? Uh, but he never finds out what his actual crime was, and then he's eventually tragically killed. So Kafka um, explains uh, in, a, in another place, and he, he quotes saying this, the state in which we find ourselves today, in other words, in this modern age, is sinful, quite independent of guilt. In other words, what he's saying is we're, we're living in a modern age where we've kind of at large, rejected this idea of objective morality. That like, here is the black and white of like, this is good, this is bad. Yet at the same time, we are all so in tune with this idea of shame or that we're not enough, that there's still something missing. Like, how do I know that? Well, just look at yourself. Look at the people around you. How much time we spend trying to prove that we are okay, that we are competent enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, right, talented enough um, in all these things, and yet we still know that we fall short. Um, Brene Brown, she has become this kind of recent uh, researcher into the world of shame, the shame expert. We are living in a day and age where we really, people don't believe in morality, yet a book about shame books about shame are just flying off the shelf. She's wildly popular, okay? So that, that idea, that is that deep-seated heart discontentedness that my students feel. So that concept, that is defilement. That is uncleanness, kind of filtered through the modern age, this deep sense that human beings, that we're, we're not okay, in and of ourselves. And so do you see in the passage that actually everybody, Jesus, the Pharisees, everybody is on board with this idea that humans have this defilement problem, this shame problem, that something's not right. So everyone's in agreement there, but what they're in disagreement on is like, what is the problem? What's the thing that actually causes that? And then therefore, what's the solution? So that's what I want to just take that along that, those two lines. What's the perceived problem of the Pharisees and then their solution? And then what's the real problem and what's the real solution? So first, that perceived problem. So the Pharisees, if you know anything about them, they're all about the law and people sticking to the law. And, you know, to some extent, like, great, you know, law, good, Torah, good, Ten Commandments, good. We, we should do them. But when they took a good hard look at their community, 
and all the problems with it, they said, you know what this is? This is a external problem. This is a obedience problem. And so because they said that that was the problem, they were operating off that, they threw external solutions at what was an external problem, okay? So that was their problem, the external thing. Um, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Though, sure, again, Torah, good. Ten Commandments, good. They started to kind of put this fence if you will, around it, to just make sure that, like, we don't want anybody breaking any laws, so let's just, you know, back it up a couple feet and then back it up a couple feet more so that no one even gets close. And so maybe things that started off as spiritually helpful, maybe even good ideas, began to take the form of these ultimate things, ultimate things, that this is what obedience looks like. Um, <laughs> But the problem is, those things didn't work. And that's exactly what Jesus puts his finger on. That they're still breaking the law. That even with their external kind of law-protecting things, they're actually still disobeying God. It's not working. So he gives the example of um, the, the Korban, the Korban thing. And so what that means is, you know, it, a tradition developed where, hey, look, you can set aside some of your assets, some of your property to the use of the temple. And, but if something, you know, bad happens in the future, maybe your parents fall into bad health and they need taken care of, and you're like, well, I actually might need to liquidate some of those resources to take care of my parents. What the case law said was no. You can't have it. So here you have this man-made law that's actually getting in the way of people following God's law and doing what he actually wants them to do, which is honor their father and mother, take care of their parents. But man's law is actually getting in the way of God's law. Um, so let me, let's do this kind of with a, a kind of innocent, maybe innocent example um, here. Um, so church clothes, maybe something that starts off as, you know, I just, I love God and I want to show up in my Sunday best when, when I go and worship him. And so people kind of start dressing up nice, you know, three piece suits and all, all that, uh, as a real expression of really what's going in their heart of, of a love and reverence for God. But then what can happen? You can slide into saying like that external thing is the way, the way you express reverence. And so you look at, you know, Texas t-shirts and jeans and boots guy and you're like, you godless heathen, right? And it can go the, and you can go the opposite way around, right? Dress, come as you are, come as you are. We wear whatever we want to wear to church. And you can then kind of look back, right, at the, the guy who, you know, wore a tie to, to church today and like, you legalist, why can't you get grace? Why can't you get that God doesn't need you to dress up, right? So either one, either one can take the form of like this external way of being is the way. And maybe it's, maybe it's not. Maybe you don't really know what's going on inside someone's heart. So I'm saying externals, these external things, 
they don't solve the problem. In fact, what do they do? Sometimes they can exacerbate the problem. They can reveal, they can reveal more hatred. They can reveal more tension with people, reveal more covetousness, maybe, and actually get in the way of actually following God's law. All right, so if externals don't solve the problem, maybe it's because it's not an external problem. So what is the problem? All right, look back with me uh, at your text. If you've, if you've got the Bible, um, we're going to read actually the part that's not in your handout, uh, starting in verse 14. So Jesus, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Um, All right, so do you see what Jesus is saying? All right, it's not the stuff that is out there that's the problem. It's the stuff that is in here. It's the thing that is in here. That's the problem, the heart. And you see, when the Bible talks about the heart, I always just want to be clear to uh, uh, be sure to clarify this. It's not talking about your feelings. It certainly includes your feelings, but it's not just talking about your feelings. So in the scriptures, the heart is just the way of describing your true inner self the inner person, and really the totality of kind of who you are on the inside. So it's, it's your loves. It's how you feel. It's how you think, right? It's just, it's just what you're like, your preference. It's your Enneagram type. Just kidding. Um, but maybe, maybe it is. Um, right, so it's, it's your inside. And Jesus says, it's that thing. It's that thing that's broken. And so let me... Let me kind of emphasize this um, with just a few things. So, the internet. The internet does not insert lust into you. Right? School and pop culture does not insert vulgarity into you or into your kids. Uh, right, that really difficult family member does not insert resentment into you. Changing cultural norms does not insert kind of embarrassment about biblical truth claims. Um, busyness. Busyness does not insert kind of neglect of the scriptures and prayer and worship. All right, so all these things, are we saying that, okay, outside things, they just don't matter at all. You can just expose yourself to whatever you want to expose yourself to. No, not at all. And the Bible counts for this. But what, here's what we're saying. Maybe we, maybe we can get it like this. So if you are on your computer and that little image pops up in the corner that leads you down a path on the internet that, that you don't need, leads you to things that you don't need to go see and look at. Is that thing drawing you? Is it enticing you? Yes. But what is it drawing? It is drawing something that is already on the inside. It's not putting anything in you. 
It's working on things that are already there, that are already on the inside. So it is our insides that are unclean, that are uh, defiled. Okay, so what? We're just, our hearts are defiled, and there's just going to be nothing but just trash and filth that just spills out of us. Yay, good news, let's pray. Like, is that, what's the good news? Is there good news here? There is good news here. Um, So look back with me at verse 3 on this little just explanatory note that Mark includes for his actually non-Jewish readers so they'll get an idea of what's going on here. And so in this note, uh, he writes, and I'm going to emphasize the words that I want to talk about. So for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders and when they come from the marketplace they do not eat uh, unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of the cups and pots and other things okay so that word wash you know what the the greek word behind wash and washings is it's the word baptizo and if that sounds a little like the word baptism to you you're right it's the same word it's that, the same root word, baptism. Baptism is just the word for kind of ritualized washing. Ritualized washing. And so when the Pharisees, when they do all these washings, it's certainly kind of a, an adding to the law, but they're not pulling it out of nowhere. Because even in the Old Testament law, there's all kinds of examples of, of right washings and all these things that, that God wanted Uh, the Jews to do at the time. Uh, That was good. They were actually good things that pointed to good, healthy, spiritual inner realities. Um, In fact, so do you remember, actually at the beginning of this gospel, John the Baptist, right? When he comes and he's asking people to repent and be baptized, um, Right? He's saying, look, look, y'all, this is great. You need to turn this washing. This is kind of representing inwardly what's happening. This is great. Everything's good. But actually, you know what you really need? What you really need is the one who is going to come and give you the Holy Spirit. That's actually going to get inside you and wash your heart. That's what you really need to happen. That's what all of this baptism really, really means. Um, You know, that's the good news, y'all. That's the good news, that Jesus Christ has come, and he has, on one hand, I love how Derek, Derek put it, he washes away your sin. It is You are legally clean. There's nothing left. Past future, present, sin, boom, you are stamped with the stamp of clean. That's the good news. And you know what else? Do you know what else is part of the good news? Is that spirit, that clean spirit of Jesus is actually in your heart. And you know what? There's a lot of messiness and grossness and sinfulness that's in there too, but that stuff doesn't rule you anymore. It's that clean spirit that's in charge. But, you know, the way that looks can often be kind of counterintuitive. So I remember when I, Catherine and I first got married, 
uh, right after college, she introduced me to this whole world of having a clean house and not letting your dishes pile up in the sink for you know, two weeks at a time. And this incredible invention called the vacuum cleaner that like you can run it over carpet and it pulls all the dirt out of it and everything doesn't just stink all the time. It was amazing. And, you know, so I'd only been living in this new world of clean for, um, for about two months and a bunch of my buddies that weren't married had moved back to our hometown and had an apartment together and I went over there. And I remember walking in and just being disgusted, like, just like, you, y'all are filthy. How do y'all even live like this? But, but the truth is, the real truth is, like, actually, their apartment was pretty all right, you know. Their bathroom was cleaner than my kitchen in college ever was, right? We were, we were awful. And so what had changed? Well, the thing that had changed was that I'd changed because I'd had a newfound relationship with clean, with a clean person. And so because I actually knew clean and knew the beauty of clean, I could actually see unclean. I could actually see it. And y'all, I think that is for me, as I have continued to walk with Jesus over the years, I find the hardest thing, the hardest thing about being a Christian is obedience. Obedience is hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't do obedience. That is hard. But what is actually harder for me is to admit that my insides are not clean. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Because I want to be able to step into life, and I want to be able to step into relationships, and I want to go, like, my way of thinking about this, like, my way of feeling about this, kind of my, like, the way that whole interaction with that person went off, like, I am the clean, unstained one on this, and it's other people and it's the circumstances that they've put me in they're like they're the ones that are messed up not me but see that that is the mess that's the mess ruling that's not cleanness ruling and y'all it's it is so hard but that I'm convinced is the work of how we change of how we get our hearts cleaned up you know uh, my daughter Lillian if you've seen she runs around a lot she gets hurt a lot she scrapes her knees up a lot and there's one particularly bad scrape, and we had hydrogen peroxide and the gauze and all that stuff out. And as we were kind of going in to clean it, she was like, no, 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 Daddy, I don't want it to hurt. If her Bobo was going to get clean and heal, it's going to have to hurt, baby. Right? It's going to have to hurt. It hurts. It doesn't feel good to have Jesus clean up our hearts. But it's good. It's good. We need it. And so, you know, I ask you, look, by no means am I trying to dog, like, good, healthy spiritual disciplines or obedience or good, you know, patterns and, and liturgies and family worship. Like, we're all about that. And all of that, all of that is actually crucial to Jesus getting into our hearts and making us clean. But look, if you're like my students and you just feel like you are just exhausted and worn out by spiritual activity, can you interrogate with yourself? Ask yourself, is it because in all of this activity I'm not actually letting the Word 
the sacraments, these, these prayers I'm participating in actually get up in my insides and point out where I'm not clean. Because actually when you see how dirty you are in comparison to how beautiful and clean Jesus is, that's when you start getting cleaned. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we can't do this on our own, right? We, we throw efforts at it. We throw strategies at it. We throw, you know, read the Bible in a year plans at it. And those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what's wrong is our insides. And that there is a real spiritual power at work in us that we don't get, that we don't understand, that we can only start to really plumb the depths of. Would you plumb those depths? We just open ourselves up and just ask that, like, we need you. We can't do it. We need you to actually dive in here with your spirit and start busting plaque up and start scrubbing at the grout, and we need you to shine light and it's going to not be very nice at all when that light flips on. But it's so good. And the healing is so good. So would you please heal us? In your name we pray. Amen.